Good morning. Good morning. God is good. We are glad that you are here today with us via this podcast format. I am Minister Elijah Tiggs, and on behalf of Pastor and First Lady Cooper of New Beginnings Christian Center, I want to say thank you for taking the time out of your morning to join with us or Sunday whenever you listen to this. Thank you. Because what we are about to do right now is get into the word of God, and I am glad that I can share it with you. It is my honor, and I hope that you were able to take something from this time together, and that also you would join us later for the message after the message where we discuss the word that we just heard. All right, so I'm going to open in prayer and get into this this week's message. God, we thank you. We love you. And it is an honor to be here with you today, gathered in your name, so that we may read your word, dissect it, and take it with us through the rest of the day and through the rest of the week. We thank you for this opportunity. We glorify your name, and we ask that you be with us as we read your word and as your word settles in our hearts. We thank you once again. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, I will present you all with what I believe is our due response to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is a follow-up to last week's message from Pastor Cooper about how we know the resurrection is a fact. This survey of our response was initially brought up during last week's discussion after the message or message after the message, whichever you would like to call it. And that is when we uh, gather together via freeconferencecall.com. And I'm extending the invitation to you if you are a new listener, somebody forwarded you this message and you have time to join us, please do at 12 p.m. Central Standard Time on freeconferencecall.com. And use the online meeting ID, R. Cooper, C-O-O-P-E-R, 4950. Once again, R. Cooper, 4950. And enter the security code 043190. Once again, 043190. And today at 12 p.m. Central Standard on that website, we're going to be diving further into this word with your questions, your thoughts, and what comes up from your spirit while listening to this message today. So let's begin. As I uh, joined in the discussion last week and listened to the message from Pastor Cooper last week, we discussed the proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I began to think about the accounts of the resurrection because there's differences between the resurrection accounts and the gospels. And these differences can be seen in the timelines, who was involved, where they were. But please don't confuse these differences for contradictions in God's word. Because what I want to present to you today is that 
all of the Gospels come together, if you don't already know, in a mosaic form, bringing together different pieces from different authors um, through their different perspectives. So, of course, there's going to be some differences, but they work together. So uh, the thing about each author is they wrote the gospel according to their relationship with Christ and in their individual voice as a writer. And that included their backgrounds, their audiences, and their intent. But once again, this collection provides a unique combined perspective of Jesus that comes together and culminates in a great picture for us today. For the resurrection specifically, the reader has to gather the accounts to form a larger picture of the events that took place. And then it's visible that these authors work in tandem and not against each other. I'm going to briefly go over the timeline of post-resurrection appearances by Jesus Christ to the disciples and others. And during the online free conference call uh, message, after the message, I'm going to pull up a slide that gives a little bit more information. But this timeline states that the first visitor, um, the first one Jesus visited was Mary Magdalene. That comes out of the book of John. And you're going to see that as we go through the timeline, because the authors give separate accounts, when we interweave them, we're able to see the correct order and get a grand scale picture. So the second group of people, the next group of people that uh, Jesus visited post-resurrection was the other Mary, Salome, Joanna, and at least one other woman. And we know that because it's written in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The next is Simon Peter, also called Cephas, among other names. And that is written in Luke and in 1 Corinthians. The next visit is Clopas and a companion on the road to Emmaus, which we find in Luke. And I'll go over that passage uh, deeper coming up soon here. And the final one of this segment is unto the 11 disciples minus Thomas. He was absent this time, but he's there the next time. When this first visit happens, it's in Luke 24 and John 20. Now, those first visitations happened on Resurrection Sunday from early in the morning to late at night. Now, eight days after that last visit with the 11 disciples minus Thomas, here we go where Thomas is now in the picture and uh, where the passage about doubting Thomas comes into play. If you've read that before, that is in John. After that, over the next couple of weeks, uh, because it is recorded that uh, his time after the resurrection, Jesus, that is, on earth was 40 days um, where he appeared to many people. So after those first group of people were seen um, over the next couple of weeks, we find Jesus meeting seven disciples at the Sea of Tiberias in the book of John. 
and that's also the Sea of Galilee. So uh, following that, we also see soon after the disciples and a large gathering meet Jesus again after the resurrection on the mountain in Galilee, on a mountain in Galilee. And that's in Matthew and in 1 Corinthians. After that, we have record that he met James. Uh, that's in 1 Corinthians. So the pause a little bit before there in those sections about Galilee um, is that some, while reading um, straight through, may think that there's a contradiction with Jesus having met people in Galilee and also in Jerusalem. As we see here, Jerusalem events occurred first during Resurrection Sunday and um, that next meeting eight days later with all 11 of the disciples. And then we're in Galilee because that was a couple days journey from Jerusalem. So um, just going in, in a order of traveling, that makes sense that Galilee would be in the middle of his um, post-resurrection appearances. And then on the 40th day, uh, or around the 40th day, uh, we see that we're back in Jerusalem, and he appears once again to the disciples. And uh, what happens at this point is he leads them from Jerusalem to Bethany and uh, to the Mount of Olives. And there, giving the Great Commission and ascending into heaven. And this comes from Luke and is referenced in Acts. So we're going through a lot here. As I said, it's intertwined between the Gospels, 1 Corinthians, and Acts. There are accounts that give us a full picture of the resurrection. But even this picture is not the whole account in its entirety. As we go to John 20, verse 30 through 31, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So, of course, during his ministry and his time on earth in entirety, there are so many things that Jesus could have done and um, to have everything written down would be quite the task. So the next chapter of John goes on and continues the statement a little bit further. So John 21 and verse 25. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did where were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So there we have it right there from the author of John that there, there are so many things, but collectively what was put into this book, as well as the other three Gospels, was for the purpose of teaching in a a 
large and a grander scale view. And piecing them together helps that picture all the more, as we see here, putting that timeline together. All right, and going forward with those two verses, um, that was during the life of Jesus, including the 40 days. As we mentioned, 40 days, we know that was that length because of Acts. Um, and that specific verse is chapter one, verse three. After his resurrection, and John is telling us that the world couldn't contain that amount of books. So what I want you to imagine is on that grand scale, we, we have the few books that we have in the collection. Um, but if each person wrote their experience out and made a gospel of their own after the encounters they had with Jesus, when he fed um, the multitudes numerous times, when he taught the people in large crowds numerous times, if each one took their time to write that encounter out and how they were blessed afterward and how their faith grew from that time and how they spread the gospel even further. Just how amazing would that be? Although it's written that there wouldn't be enough room for everybody to write one, but what do you think about if you took the time to maybe journal and write down more of the encounters that you have for the next generation to read? If you wrote down how your faith grew over the years, for your children or their children or a friend, somebody who needs um, help in a time where their, think, where their life is looking down. But you may have been there and God pulled you up and you can share with them, I went through it. So just think about that maybe as a journaling exercise for you this morning or today. Another thought that I had is, why did the disciples keep getting startled or doubting the resurrection or not recognizing Jesus? And what I realized is that these accounts are honest portrayals of the human condition in the presence of holiness, living in the physical. Now, it's a lot there. It's compounded. But what it's basically saying is I don't blame them because that's just our, our human nature. We're forgetful at times. I know that I am. Now, some trouble identifying Jesus could have been natural. It could have been distance was too far and you have a little bit of trouble seeing somebody that's too far off or the time of day early in the morning. The sun is really bright. You can't see them late at night on the sea. The location could be a problem. But I think it's also worth noting that some of it could be from a lack of focus. If we were honest with ourselves, like these disciples are honest in their feelings and emotions and in their uh, situations, having our own accounts as gospels, as I said before, if we were to write down how our faith grows, how our lives are changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, how many times would we do the same and lose focus? on Jesus at any given time. Looking back on the miracles, large and small, how often did we not recognize Jesus providing for us? But eventually we do. Not in the moment, perhaps, but maybe 
a couple seconds later, a couple later that day, minutes or hours. But then there's sometimes where we don't know how something happened. We don't give it enough. Don't give God the credit. But looking back on it, we can say that was nothing but God. So I don't I don't blame the disciples for um, their moments of doubt, their moments and not recognizing. But what I want to give to us as encouragement is that if we spend more time listening to the voice of God through the people of God, through the word of God, through meditation and prayer, through journaling, through um, all methods given to us that are good for our spirits. If we would listen to God more, if we would spend more time in his presence, if we always went forth with the assurance of salvation in Jesus Christ, knowing that we know that we know and forever inviting the Holy Spirit to dwell, comfort and intercede on our behalf, how much stronger would we be there? How much more likely would we be to always know who is on our side, that Jesus Christ should not be confused with the ghost as they often did in their distractions. When on the sea, when surprised or caught off guard by Jesus, how much better would we be for doing those things? To my next point, I want to say, don't allow emotions to make you forget Jesus. As Jesus appeared after his resurrection, there they the disciples, they were often so distracted and distraught that they couldn't see Jesus for who he was, even if right in front of them. I want to bring out a couple passages here, starting with Mark 16, 9 through 14. And here we get one after the other. Mark is rolling through these occurrences. Verse 9. Now, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he first appeared to Mary Magdalene, who from whom he cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. That's on the road to Emmaus. We're going to get to that right coming up. 13 goes on and says, and they went back and told the rest, the two on the road to Emmaus. But they did not believe them. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And what's important right here is that emotion of doubt, that emotion of overwhelming mourning, when the disciples went into retreat after. Uh, Jesus Christ was crucified, leaving um, Jerusalem right outside of the area. But they were so overwhelmed with mourning that 
they they couldn't remember beforehand. Jesus had already said that this would come to pass and that he would rise on the third day. And yet when hearing it from others who had seen him, they still did not believe. Don't allow your emotions, although they are real, don't allow them to make you forget Jesus because he is ever present. Going on to the passage of the road to Emmaus, that's in Luke 24, 13 through 35. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were walking and talking with each other about the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So, once again, taking a break right there, their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So not to their fault, but how much more powerful would it be to know today in this day and age when Jesus is walking with you? Going on to verse 17, and he said to them, what is this conversation that you were holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Once again, those emotions clouding their, their eyes, their emotions not allowing them to see clearly. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But when, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, besides all of this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones. And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures and things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. There 
they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while we talked on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. So that's an important part right there. When they finally realized it, they said, didn't our hearts burn within us? Like, could we not tell that Jesus was here with us, though we couldn't physically put the name to it? Wouldn't we have known by his presence being with us? That's why it's so important for us to continue to stay in his presence, to continue to be joyful above and beyond the things that bring us down and make us sad. And when those emotions come out. Emotions are natural. So that's why I'm saying the joy has to be above them. I'm I'm not neglecting, I'm not negating, I'm not saying you should throw away your emotions. They're there. And I personally believe that we need to feel our emotions. But we also need to bring them to God, to true fulfillment and the reason for them. True fulfillment, if it's a good thing, let us give praise and honor to God for them. But if there is something wrong with inside our spirits, Let us come to God as well for the reason for them so that we may bring it to him. Let us bring our sadness to the Lord and exchange it for gladness. And in bringing our joy to the Lord, let him compound that for us. Let him add to it. The next passage that I want to bring is John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29. This is the passage about doubting Thomas, as we said earlier, um, because he wasn't with the 11 originally uh, that night. But the following um, visitation, eight days later, doubting Thomas was here. Now, Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord, my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Once again, our emotions pulling us further away from 
walking beside and realizing and being constantly aware of Jesus and all his power in resurrection. This is after the resurrection, after they've gone through all they have seen in his time of ministry and being with him. And here he is, as he said, he would be in after the resurrection. But yet they doubted until they physically saw. This emotion alongside doubt, some pride. If you if you could believe that he was prideful, I will never believe until I physically put my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand in his side. Yet Jesus Christ says to him, blessed are those who don't see, yet they believe still. So how much more is that blessing unto us? Although we have not seen Jesus physically as the disciples, but we believe nonetheless because we keep him first. We recognize the power and glory within him to conquer the grave. And we call him Lord and Savior. And that goes into this next part here. Since he rose, you ought to know better. Because we call him Lord and Savior, because we know there is then an action required of us daily, not only dying to ourselves, but the actions following when problems arise, do you still say Christ is risen? So this this situation doesn't have as much power as the enemy think it, thinks it does over me because Christ has already conquered it when he rose from the grave. Emotions got the best of the disciples, and sometimes they get the best of us too. That is our human nature, once again, as stated before. But since our Lord and Savior has defeated the grave, I think we ought to be more careful than to give ourselves over to despair, over to pride in any situation. And I also, I very much so believe that we need to feel our emotions. It's important, but Christ reigns supreme over it all. And let that be our focus. Counseling and therapy are necessities in this age. And I think that they need to be released from their stigma so that we can receive a full healing as a people and as organizations as a whole. But yet Christ be the center of it all as we go through it, because he will point us in the in the greatest truth, not our truth, not the world's truth, but his truth and make it all right. And what I want to share with you now is personal statements. So beyond the emotion of the heart. We need to have a lifeline within our spirits that abides in Christ. So that in times of trouble, once again, we're able to pull on that lifeline. And just being honest here, as honest as the disciples were, some days in life is really hard. I don't know if anybody can relate, but some days when your soul is so tormented that you don't want to live anymore. That's a hard day. 
but yet still Christ has risen. When you're having a, a span of time when your desires have not been actualized, your desires have not happened for you yet, and yet you've been praying for years and want to give up and stop praying and thinking that it's not for you, but Christ has risen. Keep him at the top. Maybe you're in a position you keep sinning and you know that it's feeding the wrong things inside of you and you can't stop on your own, even though you want to. But Christ is risen. I'm looking at debt and it's literally inducing panic attacks. And I'm supposed to tithe while going through that. But Christ has risen. I'm looking at people and I'm identifying with them. But these people are being killed seemingly for the color of their skin. The evil of this world breaks my heart. But Christ has risen. I've been at the cliffs of my limits sometimes in those very positions. But it is well with my soul because since Christ has defeated death, I should not fear anything in life for the concern of it killing me. Christ has more power here in this situation. Christ has risen and because of his great love, so have I. next passage that I want to bring up here is Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all that believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show that his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So with all of that, I want to ask you, do you need to ask for help? In faith. And by ask, I'm wanting to break that down to show you do you need to address the sin? Do you need to submit it to the cross and the grave and leave it there? Do you need to know after both of those that Jesus has it covered? God did all of this for you that you would come to know his love and live for him 
If you are listening today and know that you need Christ to come into your life and help you with your problems that are coming for your life. Know that in this moment, Jesus Christ is here just as he always has been to offer his life instead of yours. Your sin will not take your life because Jesus gave his when he took on all sin at the cross. Your fears will not take your life. Jesus took the greatest fear, death, even when it was stressing him and striking him with grief in the Garden of Gethsemane, asking if there was any other way to let God's wrath pass from him. Yet still, he took it for your sake. The evil that surrounds you will not overcome you because Jesus conquered the grave by rising on the third day affirming the word of the prophets and completing the law of the Old Testament, all to allow you to have access to the glory of God. Pray with me now, if you would like to have Jesus Christ enter into your life. Heavenly Father, at the hearing of your word and acknowledgement of your great work on my behalf, I confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I believe he lived, died, and that you raised him from the dead for the forgiveness of my sins. God, I receive the Holy Spirit as my help and your word as my strength. Thank you, God. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. If you prayed that prayer along with me, accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to know how amazing that is. Not only is the family of New Beginnings Christian Center rejoicing, but angels in heaven are rejoicing, just as Luke 15.10 describes. Hallelujah. Once again, I invite everyone to join us for the discussion after the message on freeconferencecall.com at 12 p.m. Central using the online meeting ID rcooper4950 and security code 043190. Everyone be blessed and go with God. Much love.